0: All right. Thank you guys for being willing to chat with one another. All of you introverts can go home after church today and spend four hours taking a nap. All right. Which, oddly enough, will be me at some point. All right. So we are technically in week two of a sermon series on the book of Galatians. Sorry, that's not... I don't even know where where I'm going with that. No idea what I'm talking about. We're in a second week of a series on Second Corinthians, right there. Anyway, wow. And uh, yeah, so every now and then, it, essentially, you know, a lot of times here at Seven Hills, we'll do uh, topical sermons. In other words, they're sort of like systematic theology. Systematic theology is where you take topics in scripture and you unpack those topics. And then every now and then we do exegetical series where you take a book of the Bible and you begin to sort of make your way through it. And uh, we try to balance those two so you get a steady diet of both because both are important. Um, so we decided to go through 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be going through the first half of the book um, over the next several weeks. And, and the good news is by the time this is over, um, you will have at least been exposed to you know, six chapters of a letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church back in 55 to 57 AD. Now, when he's writing this letter, he's writing with a specific several purposes in mind, but at least two of the purposes, among others, is um, he's writing against worldly wisdom. And we've got to be real careful how we talk about that really quickly, because the truth is all truth is God's truth. But what he's talking about is placing worldly wisdom over godly wisdom or godly truth. And so he's talking about that somewhat throughout the book. He's also writing to the Corinthian church, who they're being threatened by false teachers that are coming among them to create chaos and division, and so he's writing this letter, probably from Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey, to address these things. And so over the course of the next six weeks, we'll jump into several of the topics. Last week, we looked at 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. There's a lot of talk about suffering in those first 11 chapters, which is probably indicative of what Paul has gone through, and maybe indicative of what the Corinthian church either has gone through is going through or will go through, but basically, what we summed up those eleven verses, we basically said this: that suffering is inevitable, right? So suffering is inevitable, but we can bear suffering if we know that it has a purpose, and if we know that we're not alone in it. So we took a look at that last week. Today we're going to be looking at verses twelve through twenty-four of Second Corinthians one. Before we jump into that, I'm going to take a moment. And I'm going to pray. And uh, then we'll begin. Father, thanks so much for inviting us into this place today. And I thank you that through the power of your spirit, um, you are um, making your way not only into our heads in order to change what we think, but that your spirit is working his way all the way down into our hearts to change the way that we feel. And uh, Father, I pray that, um, that all of us in this room this morning would have an encounter with you through the power of your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Who knocks out everybody and no one can whoop him. That's when that little Cassius Clay from Louisville, Kentucky, came up and stopped Sonny Liston. The man who annihilated Floyd Patterson twice, he was going to kill me. But he hit harder than George. His reach was longer than George. He's a better boxer than George. And I'm better now than I was when you saw that 22-year-old undeveloped kid running from Sonny Liston. I'm experienced now, professional. Jaw's been broke, been lost knocked down a couple times. Bad, been chopping trees. I done something new for this fight. I done wrestled with a alligator. <laughs> That's right, I have wrestled with a alligator. I done tussled with a whale. I done handcuffed lightning, throw thunder in jail. That's bad. Only last week, I murdered a rock, injured a stone, hospitalized a brick, I'm so mean, I make medicine sick. Man, dude. Yeah. Fast. 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 Last night, I cut the light off my bedroom, hit the switch, was in the bed before the room was dark. Incredible. Fast. Incredible. And you, George Fullman, all of you chumps are going to bow when I whoop him. All of you. I know you got him. I know you got him picked. But the man's in trouble. <laughs> I'm going to show you how great I am. All
0: right. Hopefully some of you guys, most of you guys are familiar with Muhammad Ali. Um, One of the things that he did throughout the course of his boxing career and afterwards was to make the claim that he was the best fighter of all time, right? And there are some people that would debate that, most notably Mike Tyson, Roy Jones Jr., Floyd Mayweather. So they might, you know, they might argue uh, with Muhammad Ali a little bit, but what I think is unarguable is uh, the fact that when it comes to boasting or bragging, Muhammad Ali is pretty clearly number one in my book. Now, what's interesting, is interesting to think about this idea of boasting and bragging, because really, frankly, part of what we've heard over the course of our lives is most of us, whether it's as Christians or just as Americans, they're sort of, it's sort of looked down on, upon. But what's interesting here in 2 Corinthians, Paul actually begins verse 12 in this whole section with some boasting of his own. So I'm going to jump in really quickly beginning in verse 12 and going through verse 24, and and then we're going to get into the rest of this passage. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God, and supremely so towards you. For we're not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope that you will fully understand Just as you did partially understand us on the day of our Lord Jesus, that you will boast of us as we will boast of you. I'm going to call time out really quickly and say this. We don't have time to dig into this idea of boasting or bragging, um, but there's actually quite a bit in scripture about boasting. And surprisingly, to me at least, not all of it's negative. The word translated boast here is actually cauchesis, and it means the act of glorifying, the act of glorifying. So, in the Old Testament, the word for glory is kabod, which means weight. And so, part of what uh, Paul is saying here is he's saying that it's appropriate to give weight to that which glory is due. So, he's saying in this case that he's boasting in his behavior. He talks about that a little bit. That word behavior in Greek actually means to go to and fro. And what that means is the idea of living amongst you, going to and fro every day, I lived in a way that was that was really worthy of honor, right? That was worthy of being glorified. And he said, I live that way towards you. He then goes on to boast in his conscience, saying that his conscience, which is a word that means to see together, that's sort of what Jeremy was talking about today in terms of integrity, the internal me and the external me and your consciousness when you see those two things together and when they're consistently lined up. And he basically says, my conscience is also clear in regards to you and is also worthy of being given weight. And that brings us, interesting, to Paul's Paul's final boast here, where he says that on the day of our Lord Jesus, that you will boast of us and we will boast of you. What he's saying is, he says that he longs for on the day that Jesus returns a chance to celebrate with the Corinthians and to brag on them. To, to call out their glory. Now, unfortunately, I couldn't go in this t- more today, but it was really interesting. I dug into it and looked all over scripture and there's all these proof texts. And it's so interesting that I'm gonna come back to it and write a sermon on it in the future. But for right now, I'll just allude to the fact that Paul's actually saying it's okay for us to boast in terms of that which deserves glory and deserves weight. Verse 15. Verse 15 says this, "'Because I was sure of this, "'I wanted to come to you first "'so that you might have a second experience of grace.'" I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no. But in him, that is Jesus, it's always yes. For all of the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen, which is another way of saying yes, to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us, and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me, it was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Now, like with so many other passages of Scripture, we really could talk about in this passage probably five or four other things. I'm going to really focus on one. The other things we could focus on in verses 12 through 24 are the truth. Part of what Paul gets into here is that, that all of the Old Testament promises our, our, belong to us in Jesus. In other words, he accomplished all of those things that the Old Testament promised and gives them to us. We don't have time to talk about that today. He could talk about, he was talking about the Holy Spirit. So we could talk about how the Holy Spirit is a seal that God has placed upon us that reminds us of who we are in Christ. Again, it could be a whole sermon. We don't have time for it today. We could talk about how Paul gets into this concept a little bit of how it's God's plan for us to flourish or to experience joy, not in a health, wealth, gospel kind of a way, but in a, as we submit to God as our heavenly father and as we trust in him, that if we do that, that He'll, he will create in us the godly women and men he desires for us to be. We could we talk about all those things. So unfortunately, we, can't, we don't have time to get into all of them. So I'm going to get into one. And the primary one I'm going to get into is this, that as as Christians, as those called by God, we must live lives of integrity. We must live lives of integrity. We're going to look at verses 12 and 13, then 17 and 18. So Paul, again, is talking to the Corinthian church. We behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so towards you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand, and I hope you'll fully understand. Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. So let me draw your attention really quickly to a couple of words in these verses. Paul uses a couple of interesting words. The first is translated as, Simplicity, depending on what version of the Bible you have. But in Greek, it's a word haplotes, and it literally means singleness or single-mindedness, right? So singleness or single-mindedness. To kind of add some depth to what this means and what Paul is getting at, I'm gonna use two illustrations. First, I'm gonna talk about myself, and then I'm gonna talk about Steve Spurrier, all right? Let's start with me. Uh, So one of the things you may or may not know about me is that One of my many flaws is that um, I am a people pleaser. I'm trying very much to repent of it and to see how it affects me and how it affects those in my life, but it's something that I've struggled with my whole life. And, and, And the way that it manifests itself is essentially, and I'll just use an illustration really quickly, if one of you was to ask me a hard question, maybe about hell, maybe about predestination, maybe about Christ being the only way... You know, there are any number of different questions that you could ask me. And what happens internally within me is rather than being single-minded and going, this is what I think, here's the truth, I'm very conscious of what my perception of what I think you want to hear from me. And so actually much of the energy that's going on inside of me is this like weirdo BP radar where I'm going, what does Jeremy want to hear me say? What is he hoping that I'll say? And then over here, there's this other thing, which is, well, here's what I really believe. Here's what I think Scripture really teaches about these hard issues. And then what has happened to me historically over large swaths of my life is that I will curate or manage an answer where I try to take what Jeremy hopes I'm going to say and hopes to, you know, hopes I think what I think and what I really think, and I'm going to try to layer those two to create something so that it's acceptable to him right so welcome to the inner world of a people pleaser now what's going on inside of me what's going on inside of me is at least two things but probably much more than that one is that it's an idolatry of people in other words that i, I i'm so concerned about pleasing other people that sometimes my desire to please other people outweighs my desire to please god that's idolatry when you look to something else uh, to fulfill you more than you look to god so some of it's idolatry on my part Some of it, um, I know from my own story, is self-protection. It's fear of rejection. So how can I answer this in a way so that I'm not rejected by various people? And so as a result, instead of being single-minded, here's what I believe, here's what's true, here's what I think Scripture teaches, there's always this sort of layering of duplicitousness going on inside of me based in fear or based in the idea that I might be rejected, right? So it's not single-mindedness at all. It's dual mindedness, maybe triple mindedness. I could probably go on and on. That's, that's one sort of way of looking at this idea of single and single mindedness. Now let me flip over and use the old ball coach. Got a picture here in a minute of Steve Spurrier. Unfortunately, you can't see it. That's a picture of him with his shirt off uh, at a coaching session when he was the coach of USC. Some of you guys are familiar with the old ball coach. Some of you are familiar with uh, coach speak. So when coaches are interviewed before a game or after a game, They'll engage in this thing called coach speak, which is where they say, well, you know, we just really have a lot of respect for the other team and, you know, their coach is a good coach and they've got a good defense. And so they say all this nice stuff about the other team, probably because they don't want to give the other team any billboard material or they don't want to get punished in the press or whatever. Steve Spurrier wasn't worried about that. In fact, it was always very clear what he thought because he told you exactly what he thought on every single issue. He's always being honest because he just said all this stuff that other coaches would never say. So here's a couple of examples. Danny Werfel was um, a, a, a quarterback for him when he was at the University of Florida. And they asked uh, Steve Spurrier in an interview, You know, tell us about how you're different than Danny Werfel. And this is what Steve Spurrier says. And I'm not gonna do his accent, but that would be funny. Steve Spurrier said, he's like a New Testament person. He gets slapped upside the face and he turns the other cheek and says, Lord, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. I'm probably more of an Old Testament guy. You spear our our guy in the ear hole, we think you're supposed to spear you in the ear hole. That's kind of where we're a little different. In other words, you shouldn't say that, but he just doesn't care. Single-mindedness. There was a fire in the Auburn football dorm that destroyed a bunch of books, and when they asked him about this leading up to their game, Spurrier responded, the real tragedy was that 15 hadn't been colored in yet. (laughs) Get it? Like, you don't say that stuff. He didn't care. Single-mindedness, right? He's telling the truth. For those of you who are UGA fans, he had a little something to say about UGA. They asked him about playing, uh, he was asked about playing UGA early in the season. And he says, I don't know. I sort of always liked playing them that second game of the season because you could always count on them having two or three key players suspended, right? there's just no doubt with Steve Spurrier that he's never filtering his words. He's never telling people what he thinks they want to hear. For good or for ill, you could trust that Spurrier meant what he said, single-minded, no matter what the cost. As Christians, we're called to live with that kind of honesty, with that kind of integrity, with that kind of single-mindedness. That doesn't mean that we say Whatever we're thinking, sometimes we actually need to remain silent. But sometimes we need to speak. When we do speak, we need to run our speech through a grid, though, of asking, is this true? Is it wise? Is it loving? But the implication of this word haplotes, or singleness, single mindedness, is the virtue of being free from pretense and being free from hypocrisy, right? Let me ask a question. Why did Spurrier speak with such honesty and candor? What allowed him to be so single-minded? I think it's partly because he knew that he was secure, right? He knew that he was not going to be rejected. Neither Florida nor the University of South Carolina were ever going to fire him. They loved him. I think there's something there for us in the implication of that that we know that we're accepted as well. We can speak with honesty only when we know that we are loved and when we are accepted and we don't have to fear rejection by our Heavenly Father. Look at Jesus. No one ever spoke as truthfully and candidly as Jesus did. Sometimes, in fact, when I read through scripture, I read how he spoke to the Pharisees or other people and I just cringe. Sometimes it was to the disciples, but I believe that he spoke so truthfully and honestly because he knew that he was loved by his father, right? This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He was confident because he knew he was accepted and loved. And there's a second interesting word here, also coming in verse 12, and it's translated sincerity. So the first one is singleness, simplicity. This one is translated sincerity. And in Greek, it means purity, literally, actually, what it means is to hold up to the sun in order to check it for purity, right? To look at it from different angles in order to see if it's pure. So think of a, a gemologist. Every now and then in a movie, you see somebody who's a gemologist, and they take a diamond, and they hold it up to the light, and then they take that little magnifying glass, and they're looking for impurities. Think about when you change the water filter in your refrigerator, and uh, the first couple cups you have to fill up, and then you hold it up to look in it. And if there's stuff floating around in it, you got to dump it out until finally you get a clean glass of water. But again, what's happening is the idea is, Paul is saying here, is he's saying, you've got to look at your own heart and look at your own integrity and make sure that it's pure. You got to make sure that it's sincere. One of the many reasons that Paul is writing to the church in Corinth is because he's been accused of duplicity, being double-minded, or a lack of integrity in his interactions with them. The context is that Paul had told the Corinthians that he'd visit them on the way to Macedonia and then again on the way back to Judea. So two times, once on the way there, once on the way back. After Paul left and went to Macedonia, he stayed there in Macedonia instead of coming back to the Corinthian church like he had originally planned. And apparently someone or some people in the church in Corinth had accused Paul of lying at worst or waffling at best. And part of what Paul is doing is he, here is he's responding. He's saying that the issue wasn't a lack of integrity on my part. And then Paul goes so far as to, to emphasize his claim of integrity by basing it upon God's faithfulness. In other words, my faithfulness to you is like God's faithfulness to you. And in the same way that God acts with integrity towards us and speaks with integrity towards us, we as Christians, believers, should act and speak with integrity towards others And as we do so, as we live with integrity, as we speak with integrity, as we hold it up to the light and can see that to the best of our knowledge, our intentions are pure, that we'll actually grow stronger, right? That we'll thrive, that we'll be more whole, as Jeremy said this morning. And the flip side is that when we don't, when we live with a lack of integrity, that we grow weaker and weaker and weaker until we fragment and it not only harms us, but it harms those that were in a relationship. And I would even argue that it, that it hurts the world. It's the opposite of peace. It's infusing chaos into the world. Now, I've got a little clip that I'm going to show us here that's an illustration of, of this. Um, and in the clip, there are two people speaking, neither of whom is a believer. The first is a guy named Dave Rubin, who's a libertarian. He's a secular Jew. He's actually homosexual. And he has a podcast um, and several other platforms online. The other is a guy named Jordan Peterson, who some of you guys are familiar with. He is a clinical psychologist, an evolutionary psychologist, and so that's his uh, particular area of strength. He now teaches at the University of Toronto, but he did his um, uh, doctoral work at Harvard, so he's a brilliant guy. This is his area. And part of what they're talking about here is this, this concept of speaking with integrity. And so I'll show you the clip, and then we'll, we'll move on from there. Oh, by the way, he does say the word hell in here one time. And so, just warning you that you know there's a little bit of something in there that if that's offensive to you, you can talk to me afterwards. But go ahead.
2: Uh, Rule number eight: Tell the truth, or at least don't lie. This has been a sort of theme of everything we've been talking about. Well, telling the truth truth is hard because you have to know the truth, and that's hard. But you can know when you're lying. Sometimes you don't know because what the hell do you know? But sometimes you know. Mm -hmm. and you can feel that that's a disjunction of meaning so you'll know you see this often with people who are very socially awkward you know they'll say something that's sort of grandiose and it really falls flat Mm -hmm. and everyone's a bit embarrassed (laughs) including them it's like they've if they were paying attention they would notice that that disunited them and made them weak and then they wouldn't say it and so that's that's the thing about not lying is that lies make you weak and you can feel it it's, it's the antithesis of meaning, I would say, because meaning is associated with the truth. So if you're, if you're lying, you're, you're at the opposite pole of that. That's the deceit part. And it makes you weak. You think, well, I'll lie and I'll get away with it. It's like, no, you won't. You, you cannot get away with warping the structure of being. Well, that's why the arrogance comes in. It's like, well, I can lie and get away with it. It's like, I see. Here's your theory. There's all this reality around you that you don't comprehend at all. And there's not that much of you. There's a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And you're going to do something that isn't in harmony with that, and it's going to work. So that's <laughs> your theory. It's like, well,
1: to, try I mean, it that's, out, that's man. That's some serious narcissism. Yeah, yeah. And, yet, <laughs> well, yeah. and yet, we all do that to some degree, yeah, yeah. or at
2: least at some point in our lives, right? Yeah, yeah. Like we well, all think we can manage everything. Well, it's partly because you can. You, you can get away with it for a short for period of time, right? That, so you think, well, I've got away with it so far. It's like, yeah. It's like that funny line in The Simpsons. Bart comes up to Homer and says, Dad, this is the worst day of my life. And Homer says, the worst day of your life so far, Bart. <laughs> the worst day of your life so far. Yeah. So I just It's that show, man. Now and then they nailed it. That, that mean, was one right. of them.
0: Those 10 years. So you can go online and watch all of those clips you want. But when Jordan Peterson, again, clinical psychologist, is speaking within his realm of expertise part of what he's saying is and i've i've heard him speak any other number of times on telling the truth and part of what he is getting at there is he's saying that when you're when you tell the truth that you you grow and become strong and when you lie you actually become weak and there's a trickle down effect from that being dishonest or lacking integrity and it's that it is inevitably going to impact you it's going to harm you it's going to destroy you in fact eventually you cannot live that way you can't get away with it and just he even says go ahead and try. And so, integrity is more than that though. It's it's about not lying, it's about telling the truth overtly, but it's also about making sure that your behavior matches up with your motivation. It's making sure that your internal world matches up with your external world. It's doing the right things for the right reasons versus doing the right things for the wrong reasons. It's making sure that when you compliment someone, you're honoring them by seeing something true and good in them instead of flattering them in order to gain something from them or to avoid judgment from them. Does that make sense? And you, you guys, I promise you, most of you do that. You can flatter your professor to try to get a good grade, and you know exactly what you're doing when you do it. The compliment isn't actually about them. It's actually about you, right? You can wash the dishes, not that I've ever done this, because you want to serve and love your family and honor God by bringing some order to the chaos of our reality, or you can wash the dishes to keep your spouse off your back, not that Krista was ever on my back, but someone could, and I'm actually not joking about that, but that's, that's why some people could do things. like You could do stuff around the house because you know you don't want to get in trouble or whatever, Right Or, and I have done this, you can wash the dishes in order to send a subtle message to the people in your home about what a good guy you are. Makes sense. In other words, you can do the right things, but do it for the wrong reasons. Integrity is when you do the right things, but you do them for the right reasons, and it all matters. As Christians, we're called to live lives of integrity because we know that we're loved by God, Right? So just think about this for a moment. Think about the fact that God throughout scripture declares his love for us. You know, he wants us to know how wide and long and deep is the love that he has for us. So much so he tells us all over the place all the time in order to try to get through our thick skulls. But if you're anything like me, you just have the hardest time receiving it. And so what I would do is create a mental image for you and basically say, when you are faced with a an opportunity to live with integrity, to speak with integrity, and you feel fear, just think for a moment of God, your heavenly father, who loves you and who is proud of you, standing beside you and putting his arm around you in order to give you strength, right? When we believe and we know that we're accepted by God, not because of our goodness, not because of our track record, but simply because he has chosen to love us in his son, Jesus, then we can actually speak With integrity and live with integrity because we know that he's there with us. And as Jeremy led us this morning through a confession and assurance, when we do fail, he doesn't walk away and turn his back on us, but rather he puts his arm back around us and he goes, Man, it's hard, right? He remembers that we are dust. But like any good father, when he sees his children fail and confess and try again, he says, I'm so proud of you. Keep it up. Keep up the good work. If we could live life that way, integrity would come a little more naturally to us if we knew that God was there and he was proud of us. So we can live with integrity because we know we're loved by God, but we can live with integrity because he gives us the power to do so. He even gives us the power to do so, which is why Paul in verse 12 says, we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, Right? Not because I'm th- not because of cognitive behavior therapy, not because of sort of internal strength within me, but he says, we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God. And it's why in verse 19 he could say, "For the Son of God Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Sylvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him, that is, in Jesus, it's always yes you don't have to fear. God is for you. Yes. Right? Do I have to be afraid of God's punishment? No. He loves you. He is for you. Yes. Verse 20, for all of the promises of God find their yes in him. As believers, we are called to live lives of integrity because we know that God loves us And because we know that he gives us the power to do so. And ultimately, we can live lives of integrity because he knows, God knows, that that's the way for us to flourish and to grow. Let's take a moment. Let's pray. Father, thank you very much um, for your word to us. Um, We are so confused and our vision is so polluted Father, as I hold my heart up to the light, um, I see the wisdom of the world as I get it through uh, CNN and Yahoo News um, and the BBC. Um, And Father, and then there's my own flesh um, and uh, my desire to grasp honor and to grasp weight and to try to wrench love from other people, Father. But then there's also... Satan entering into the purity of my heart, um, lying to me about who you are and about who I am and about who others are. There's so much confusion for me. And if that's true, I would assume there's so much confusion for everybody in this room. And so, Father, I pray today that we would believe that you are our good, good Father, that you love us, that you are for us, that you are standing beside us with your arm around us, Um, Not because of our fidelity to you, but rather because of your fidelity to us through your son, Jesus. Father, empower us, I pray, through your spirit in order to live lives of integrity for our sake, but also for the sake of those um, who you have called us to love. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.